Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Episode 100 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. I did not really know what I was doing when I started this podcast back in 2011. I knew that I had some bands, and I knew that there were people that might want to talk, but I did not think it would go for 100 episodes. So back then, you know, podcasts weren't as popular, and I had pretty crappy equipment. wasn't working properly. One time, my headset crapped out. All I could hear was Davey and Dan from The Promise Ring saying my name over and over again because I wasn't there and my headset broke. And all I remember is them saying, well, forget this, and they hung up. I still have nightmares about it. This podcast has also opened up my relationship to many bands that I was not ever thinking I would meet or get to hang out with or let alone help. And this list is 100 guests long, and I hope that it will be 100 more. And to know that these artists took some time to speak about their past and you, the listener, were able to listen to this and hear the story and the relevance either now, 10 or 20 years is amazing. There's a little peek into the scene in a world that might not have been told. I do not see this podcast stopping anytime soon. There are so many more bands, so many more people to speak to, and I hope you stay for the ride. So thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback. Thanks for supporting. And as I say many times, this music is so important to me. It's not about one era or one band or one song. It's not even fucking nostalgic. The scene is an independent spirit. The scene should constantly evolve and breathe new life into music. For episode 100, we welcome Kevin Lyman, who started Warp Tour back in 1995. His festival was a gateway for so many bands and so many people to learn about punk, hardcore, emo, ska everything so he's responsible for a lot of people out there including myself it was the first time i saw blink 182 first time i saw suicide machines so great great person it's given a lot to the scene and someone that goes through his entire history from starting in southern california to booking shows at college and starting warp tour so a lot of great things we talk about hope you enjoy episode 100 of the washed up email podcast with kevin lyman Hey, 
And so I let you know, my first warp tour was 97. And I, okay. I raced to see Blink, and they played at noon. <laughs> oh, where'd you see that? Where, Western where, Mass. Your, oh, okay. So we were probably at the fairgrounds, right? Yeah. And then, sui- think, yeah. and then Suicide Machines played right after them at 1230. So we were set. My buddy and I were like, we're good. <laughs> now we're cool. We saw the Warped Tour. Yeah, we're no, good. And, then now, and it's funny now that Suicide uh, machines are playing again. Yeah, <laughs> which I love that full yeah, circle. Um, so yeah. I, thank you for taking the time. And um, I think a lot of people have mentioned you and the Warp Tour as a, a catalyst to finding out about bands, including myself. Um, and oh, being great. that, being that, being that, uh, I kind of call it that sort of, um, you know, uh, m- summer store. You know, you got everything at once. Um, so. I think I'd like to go back even further of just like, you know, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in, in California? Yeah, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Southern California in, in Claremont, east of, east of L.A., about an hour. I mean, I guess now people would know it if they ever go to a show in L.A. near Pomona, the Glass House, that area. But there was, it was definitely a, a college town and kind of a hippie town. And uh, kind of got into music almost accidentally uh, through some musicians and people around town. And then when I went to school in Cal Poly Pomona, walking through campus one day, I heard a little PA going across the campus and a band playing. And I walked over there and if my memory is a hundred percent correct, I think it was TSOL who was wow. actually playing on the college campus. And I kind of fell in love with music at that point. And then I, uh, people were gathering and I met, you know, as a freshman and kind of met up with people, that we're hanging out, listening to this music. And then um, that's where my first friendships came from. And probably my last longest enduring ones, because I really didn't, don't keep in touch with a lot of people from high school or, or college. But those people, the people that were into the music, we drive to L.A. every, you know, couple, once a week, I have a van. <laughs> so if everyone drove, we drive into L.A. and see bands like the Plim Souls and the Go-Go's and things like that. And that kind of gravitated to the punk scene and then we started bringing the bands out to our school. So Violent Femmes would play on campus. And you know, I remember we paid them $100 to come and play. And then I started throwing my own shows to raise money for my ski team in college. And I was in college and I was on the ski team and the ski club and we needed to raise money. So started blending in music and bands and, uh, and beer and uh, putting on shows. Five bands, $5, all you can drink. And when the beer ran out, we'd bail out the back door and come back and pay the fraternity house. But that was bands. There was bands, a whole scene. So we'd get some bands from LA and remember fishbone being one of those bands that would start coming out there. And then for you, like what was it? Were you exposed to the East coast scene at that time? Or was it mostly West coast stuff? Really not. I, I didn't get exposed to it. Um, I graduated from college and went away and worked at a Hawaii, a weight loss camp in Hawaii. And I came home and I was broke and I needed a job. And someone said there was a job at a club, Fender's Ballroom. And I guess Fender's was my first exposure to some of the East Coast bands. Murphy's Law, Snapcase, some of those bands would be coming through. The Bouncing, the Souls, I think, were probably in that mix. And um, to be honest, I really didn't, I never really thought there was boundaries. So, I, you know, I was so ingrained in the LA scene because by then I was working, you know, 320 shows a year, running shows in the clubs. So I would be exposed when the bands would come through, but I really was never like geographically 
like attuned a to where anyone came from. You were just playing in the venues in LA and a, and a group of people would come and, and hopefully not kick each other's ass would have a, a reasonably fun night and, uh, and then move on. And really it was, you know, you know, and then I became the stage manager of Lollapalooza in 1991, the first touring Lollapalooza. So that was my, you know, first time, you know, going to play around the country. I didn't really tour like most people go in a van or, or, or travel that way. Um, you How know, did you get that gig? Uh, I was working so much in LA and, and Jane's addiction was the, you know, it was Perry Farrell's catalyst, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what he is. And he, I was the guy who helped everyone in LA. I wrote or their vans. I think I was the only like pretty sober guy in LA at that point, you know, that was working shows. <laughs> and, uh, I used to drive an hour back out to Claremont every night. It was kind of a different world. And I'd wake up in a quiet place and not in the, Hollywood. I, I think I could have gone down a pretty dark path if I if I lived right in the Hollywood Sunset Strip scene. So I was also working all those bands like Poison and Warrant and all the hair metal bands you hear about. I was a, I was working every day. I didn't I didn't pick and choose what I worked. If you if you needed someone to work the gig, I worked it. How old were and, you when you uh, were doing this? God, I, I I'm entering my, I think my 35th year of me doing the business, and now I'm. I just turned 56 a couple of days ago. So when you were doing uh, like the poison and the Warren stuff, were you, in, you were in your early twenties, early yeah, 20s. 21, 22, maybe, you know, doing that. The Warren was for the, one of those you know bands Warrant for some reason that was like a gateway for me. I was like, okay, that's metal. And then after about six months, I realized it wasn't, but that was, no, like it a, was your gateway because the girl on the cover, remember how hot she was, the cherry pie. Yeah. <laughs> So I was working like three nights a week, those kind of bands. And I was working a few nights a week of, you know, punk bands. The Ramones would come through town. Then that turned into the, you know, there was also the Jane's Addictions and the Chili Peppers and the Fishbones and, you know, and on and on bands. That was uh, that whole L.A. type drama Rama and all these bands in L.A. And, and I was working those. And then I'd pick up a seventh gig a week working, you know, a, you know, Latin music show. Or I think that's where my kind of eclectic taste in music came from. I think, you know, when I started booking Warp Tour, I, I didn't, you know, I thought all bands could tour together. At that point, you know, when I first put that first year together, it was really a, a, a strange lineup, actually. You know, having No Doubt and Quicksand and Orange Nine Millimeter uh, and bands, you know, and No Use for a Name and L7 and Seaweed. It was a super diverse lineup. It was basically six nights a week in a, of L.A. club bands touring oh. together. You know, bands that might have toured through L.A., throwing them all on one tour with a skate ramp. And, you know, at that point in LA, we'd get a little bit more of a mixed crowd. I think maybe in some of the big cities, but I think it, people weren't quite ready for that kind of diverse lineup when we went out. I think that what, what was, I loved so much about when I first, I wasn't able to go. I grew up in Vermont, so it was kind of hard to see some of these tours early on, but you'd read about them. And I loved how it was this eclectic taste because now sometimes these tours it's just like every band is chug 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 and and it's like yeah. looking at those flyers i was someone sent me a flyer yesterday it was like weston um like snapcase and then a metal band yeah and i'm kind of <laughs> stoked on all three of them i'm like i'm in and i think that was you know kind of you know i learned that but i always just felt like it was cool to mix sounds you know and i also you know that second year probably you know when we got known more as a punk rock tour but it was still always eclectic but you know when no effects and pennywise came on at that second year you had bigger bands that kind of legitimized it within a scene with you know the punk rock scene but even in you know those years when you came in 97 i mean we had sugar ray on that tour oh, you know they were yeah sugar ray started on warp tour that was a strange story because 
everyone starts screaming. I mean, Sugar Ray was selling 70,000 records a week at that point. Think about that nowadays. They were, doing, wow. they were selling off of one song, Fly. And I had a big kind of people coming to me. And that's where I, you know, they said, we need to, you know, we need to, um, you, they need to be on the main stage. You can't keep them on this one foot stage. It was like the Volcom stage at that point. And uh, we, it, was a, it was part of a flatbed truck, I think, you know. And, and uh, I said, no, you know, the band that, like, I don't move people around just because you got hot. And I also knew that Sugar Ray had one hit song on that album. They came up with many more later on. And uh, the band, the smallest band on that, the biggest, the main stage at that point would have been Blink, Blink 182. And I think, I think a lot how if I had gone and said, oh, Blink, you need to go play the small stage now, would they have come back and played two, three years later for me when they were, you know, had sold 10 million records or 8 million records? I don't know, but, you, you know, and, then the, the t- and I think that year, probably you first came, I think we had Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. You know, might have been. Yeah, and Black Eyed Peas started on Warp Tour and uh, they met Fergie. The legacy of Fergie, Fergie, I guess they say, you know, met her in a parking lot at a barbecue one night. <laughs> so awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm trying to think if this story was true. I remember if I was at EVR at the time or not, but Coheed was on, and I think they were th- – now this – this I could be completely wrong in the story, and I'm happy that you, you can tell me yes or no. Supposedly, someone from Warped called Steve Reddy or someone at EVR and said, we have to move them. There's so many kids seeing them. The stage is moving. Yeah, probably. I think, you know, we've had, you know, those have been an issue. I've moved people around. uh. But I just love that this. I just love that the stage hat was moving. Like, there was, like, I I love that sort of, again, that feeling of a thing happening during the summer. You know, you, you, each date you start seeing, like, oh my God, this band is going to be, like, being able to see that must be exciting. Watching that momentum of bands or artists has been pretty exciting, you know, and you go all the way, you know, through, and I guess, you know, you'd say someone like Katy Perry. You I know, was about I, to bring I, her up. I, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, when I first booked Katy Perry, I booked her because I was doing a soundtrack for an album, for a movie that I just completed. It was called Endless Bummer. Yes, there's a, a plug for a movie I did once that you might build, but it had a great soundtrack. And uh, it was funny because Joan Jett was in the movie and Leaving from Fear was in the movie and Keith Morris from the Circle Jerks. But I was trying to do the soundtrack of the songs and I needed punk rock songs from the 83 and 84 by other artists covers for it. And, but I needed this one song and it was uh, Lose Your Love Tonight by Outfield. And Jason Flom, who you, you would know Jason from the day back there. And Jason uh, gave me the song to listen to and uh, she had done that cover. And I said, can I use, and I, I bought the cover for 500 bucks from him because her album hadn't come out. And I was like, sure, wow. Kevin, you knew a song. And I said, what else did she play? And, and it was, and he played me, you're so gay, the video. And I said, oh my God, she's as punk as anyone. I want her on Warp Tour. And I paid her 500 bucks a show that year to come on Warp Tour. And, but to watch her that summer where the single came, every time when you had that timing kind of happened for someone and then Kissed a Girl came out in May songs started connecting the first few shows, but you know, I'd put her up like right before, right after bring me the horizon because I was challenging her mm-hmm. to become a live act and you watch her progress through the summer to the point where, you know, whatever they invested in getting her around on warp tour, you know, the next show she played, she more than recouped it. I'm sure. You know? But you can see that. And, you know, I, I enjoy that. And I've, we've seen that with a lot of bands, you know, watching, you know, it might take a few years. I mean, Paramore, wasn't overnight success. They did work to her three times before they broke and day to remember some of those acts. And, 
you know, we go back to that period that you, you know, you're talking to me about bands, you know, like the used, I mean, the used playing in a tent, I think at one point oh, I'm and sure. Burke swinging around on this swinging around on almost tearing down a tent to a year later, you know, jumping off the speaker stacks and hopefully, you know, not landing on anyone's head. <laughs> how have you kept up? You know, how has that been, you know, having that understanding of here's that Katy Perry, here's that, here's that a, a day to remember, whatever it is. Is that a great staff? Is that? Uh, no, it's usually, it's me. I do all the booking. I, I definitely say it's getting a little harder. It's definitely harder because everyone tries to bypass steps in their careers right now. You know, there's, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch the music scene in general right now. Bands, when I used to book the Warp Tour, you know, there was bands like the punk bands knew, take a step back to move forward, bring the whole scene forward. Then we had that with Taking Back Sunday and The Used and those kind of bands would step back a minute to bring everyone forward. Now I got all these bands that, you know, they sell 600, 700 tickets and they think they're, you know, headliners now. They all want to do their own headlining tour where building careers takes time. And I don't know if we have the patience for it, understanding that albums don't sell like they used to. Um, you know, people stay on the road much longer and many more times they go through a city many more times than they used to. But I think in this day and age, streaming is catching up with business. And once the business gets sorted out, especially on an indie level or an artist management level, and they start making their direct deals with the streaming services, I think the revenues will stay in a circle and bands can start looking at their careers long term. You know, I, I like to say a band would be smart to follow the career of real big fish or less than Jake. Because they're um, still going. They're still going. And they, they don't overthink things. They go do new things. They challenge themselves. They, they don't always look at it as the bottom line, the guarantee they're getting that day. they like, oh, how does that day get us to the next point or the next opportunity? And, and I think we've gotten away from that a little bit. Do you feel like booking agents are trying to do too big a venue? for these bands too early? I think it's, they go for the, there's a, there's a difference between in this business, between career building and a cash grab and cash grabs are okay. At a certain point of your career, you need to go make cash. If you have kids and families and you want to keep doing this, you know, you know that you just go out and tour for money. You know, that's bottom line. You're, you look, you get to do, you love playing music. I don't want to cat you, but ultimately you need to come home to pay your bills to keep doing what you're doing. Then there's a point of time where bands, kind of cross that line where they say, Oh, we're only doing, but then building careers takes time. And I think the new artists have to look at, and I think the best managers nowadays explore each artist for all their outside interests. So when a band, you know, some of them will start a t-shirt company, some of them will be a songwriter, some of them will be a teacher because to continue doing what we love to do right now, you must have multiple businesses or multiple companies or, you know, to continue doing what we love. Even myself. I mean, Warp Tour, and people, you know, I'm sure doubt this when we talk or whatever, but Warp Tour pretty much has been running at a break even the last couple of years for myself. But I love music and I love what I've done with it, but I have multi-interests that allow me to keep doing what I love doing. You know, I've had a brewery. I'm invested in a coconut water company. I work with Haley Williams on our hair dye company. I have 20 other interests to keep allowing me to do what I love to do. And that's put on the warp tour and bring new bands to fans. So young people that are you know listening to you, when you go into this business now, you're going to be need to do multiple, have multiple skills and multiple interests, but ultimately we continue to do what we love. I mean, so other 56 year old people, I could, I still love 
bringing shows to a parking lot. And one, to watch kids discover music or watch artists continue a path that allows them to keep doing what they do. And I've always thought Warp Tour is that bridge. Warp either exposes you to new music or helps you bridge a time of your career so you can make new fans or you can expose yourself to new people. You having a you know cheap price ticket um, where most other big festivals are a ton more, that's a huge win when that kid's thinking, I can see all these bands at once and all my buddies are going to go and we can actually afford it. And it's been, and it's been hard. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I've, you know, the ticket price has crept up to $50, which includes your fees. But, you know, to break down a ticket, sometimes you, you know, you take that $50 and $10 has to go to Ticketmaster. $8 goes to the parking at the venue. So now you're down to $32 and all the venue, t- all, all live entertainment is getting taxed heavier than it ever has. So you may be taking 10% off the top. So you take another $5 off of that $50 or that you might have saw that might be another $3.20. So you're trying to make the Warp Tour work at about a $28 ticket. And, and we get a portion of that ticket. So, you know, it's been hard on me because I want to keep that ticket down. But moving a show down the road and, you know, our kids might be complaining that this band's not on the tour or that band's not on the tour. Well, a lot of bands might be off a cycle. Don't worry. I've talked to everyone about potentially being on a tour (laughs) or we have to work on a budget to, to bring you this show. I mean, we, you know, we bring all the staging, all the generators. We feed the bands well. You know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, talked yes. about catering on Warped Tour. I love the vegan, the vegan catering. Fantastic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so to bring the show to kids, you know, yes, I, there are artists that, you know, I know some people have complained about this year's line, but, you know, dig into the lineup. I say this lineup is super eclectic, super different, but it might not be for everyone, but there's a reason those artists you might have wanted to see are not there. And, it's it's either they're recording, uh, they're touring in Europe this summer because there's a lot of money to make in Europe during the summertime, or there's you know financial reasons they just can't make it. I can't make it work in my budget, and they seem to just not make be able to make it and work in their budget. I also so. think the I treated Warp Tour as I know four or five of them, and then I'm gonna watch another one and learn about a band. It wasn't. I feel like. I think there's that difference you you talked about sort of the fan from before or the band from before and the band now. I went in, you know, no, no clue. I knew less than Jake. I might have known Quicksand. I might and I knew Blink and Suicide Machine. But that was it. And and I think you know, and I don't know. I think that might be maybe we don't have the attention. And it's not. And I'm not criticizing. I'm I'm probably as guilty as anyone. You know, we're all following you know a couple hundred sites between Instagram, Snapchat. You know, Twitter, you got your Facebook, you got all these things. So some, maybe people just don't have the time to dig into a lineup. I used to think that, you know, it was fun to be able to expose people to all those new bands in a slow fashion. And a few years ago, a couple of years ago, when we didn't tell people the exact band they wanted to see on the first day, they hated everyone. You know, we're symptomatic of what goes on in politics, what goes on in business, what now you know, it's just what it is. So, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, but, you know, it's funny that when people dig into it, the people who are taking time, I'm seeing people go, whoa, I've never heard of Hands Like Houses. Or I've never, Stick to Your Guns is pretty awesome. Oh, wow, I've never seen Guar. That'll be super fun to go see that band. Maybe I'll wear an old T-shirt and get shot with blood. It might be a lot of fun. But, you know, <laughs> well, if you haven't been to a Guar show, you got to see one. You have life. to see Guar. 
I mean, I used to work club shows with Guar, and I thought I'd hate it. And because they were so professional and did such a great job, by the end of the night, they threw me in the meat grinder a couple nights, <laughs> and it was super fun. So, you know, I know that it's funny. Some people are going, oh, my God, I'd love to go see them one more time. Because anyone who's ever been to a Guar show remembers just, come on the spirit and community of being at a Guar show. You were a part of the show as much as the band. That also brings up, you kind of talked about pans, you know, people complaining. And how do you deal with the controversy when things happen now, when things are so fast? So if I was complaining about something in 97, I maybe sent Forfini an email. Or I might have, um, you know, I might have sent a letter. And you might have sent a note back. Now it's Twitter a thousand retweets before you might even wake up. Yeah. And, and that's what you have to realize this, this society, you know, it's funny. The biggest complainer is the funniest. And you learn this. And I, I've learned this, that one, you can't solve, you know, everyone's problem, you know, and you can't debate the internet. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't hold win. your debate in public forum. You, there's no winning. And it's not about winning. It's more, I always thought it was about explaining or confronting or discussing. That's what punk rock was about, but you can't really do it. So, you know, nowadays, if it's something I'll say, email me on the side or I'll set up a phone call still, but you also realize that you can't make everyone happy. You just can't make everyone happy in life. There's no way you can anymore. Um, I don't think you ever could, but we're so fragmented as a society now and we speak so quickly and why, you know, we learn our, it just, it's, it's a really, really, for us, we're, we're entertaining people, so we will survive. You know, we, we will get through this. But it's just a symptomatic of our society that everyone jumps to a conclusion or jumps to their own opinion, their own, their own reality. You know, and we don't need to go into fake news or reality. But everyone has their own reality. Everyone lives in their own reality now. You know, when I, when I grew up, you had three, like ABC, NBC, CBS, and a couple other news channels. And, uh, you know, you read your local paper. And if it was like a big thing, all of a sudden you tripped into something like the New York Times at some point, you didn't even know there was another newspaper after your local. But, then, you know, we communities used to gather their information more as a community. Now we're so fragmented, we get it from 600 sources and we build our own reality. And that's what we're, that's what we're, we're, our challenges. And I think our challenges in music are the same way. You know, how do you cut through this? There's so much good music out there. So much great talent out there, but how do you build a community around music again? And I think the young people in, that are out there that will be taking over the music business, that will be their greatest challenge. How do you build a community that I felt, you know, the punk world had the emo world had. The screamo world for that much matter. The metal world for that one. I mean, I can meet one person or they can scroll through my iTunes and they're instantly cool. You know, it's like, I got it. And I, I just, it's sometimes harder, I think, for that to happen um, because of all the noise. And I think it's not that I'm old. I'm on every last social network and I'm the, got the latest phone and I know what's going on, but there's still that sense of noise. Yeah. And, you know, how are we going to, you know, just get through that, not only in our own businesses, but in, in general. And uh, we all have to slow down a second. You know, we all have to slow down. So a lot of times, you know, and I'm, I was guilty of it, maybe, I'm, you know, now, you know, I'll write things multiple times. And if anyone follows me on Twitter, sometimes I get a little, you know, but I try to explain things more. I'm not trying to attack anyone. I'm trying to, to show what's going, what, you know, by, by me checking multiple sources before I put something out in public. I think we all need to just slow down, you know, slow down a little bit, you know, just slow down in business. You know, we don't need to fire off instant responses. Think we just need a little bit more thoughtfulness to society in general. 
Yeah, and for me, I always count to ten. If <laughs> if I'm gonna if I'm really angry or someone did something on Twitter or something, I I count to ten. I think about a puppy, and then I see if I still want to do it. <laughs> yeah, for me, I you know for every t- for every tweet I might send, I. I type three or four other ones and hit delete you know? yeah someone <laughs> always asks to see my drafts folder in twitter <laughs> yeah it's always you know, and, and and you just keep it you just keep it you know you just you know keep plugged on but you know with warp it's been a great run i mean got to do this for 23 years through it's multi-generate you know some, you know music and you know it's 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 fun you know i go out there for me it's two months a year I, I leave maybe the comfort of, you know, I, I've had a, now, you know, I, I'm, you know, people, I, I've been able to, I think, navigate this business by not taking advantage of it, you know, and that's really where I look at it. I don't think, I think people don't mind that if you do okay in this business, you just can't take advantage of it. And, uh, I, it's, it's, I hope to continue doing this for a while longer. It's fun. You know, I'm doing new things. We just took over, you know, it's going to be warp spring in Japan. We're going to do Mexico city. No shit. We got the cruise. Japan. We got the crew. Yeah. We're doing, we're taking over the Punk spring show. It's going to be called awesome. warp spring next year. And, uh, we're doing the cruise, which, you know, for your audience, there's a lot of great bands on there, like Juliana theory and starting line, and, you know, face to face and good Charlotte and some, you know, simple plan. And yeah, Maybe a couple, you know, and try to do new things, you know, because ultimately I could probably, you know, I, I think pretty much I could go do something, but I would, I don't think I'd be as happy. It's a distraction to go do these other businesses I do, but I get happiness out of actually still putting on shows. What, what's one thing that a kid might not know that you have to deal with on Warp Tour? Oh, geez. I mean, you know, for me, it's, it was the other day I was in North Carolina and you know, my wife, we, it was my birthday and we went to a nice dinner and we were driving home in this serious lightning storm. And it actually crossed my mind that, wow, that meal was so good. I actually complimented the chef and the waiter. I'm like, this is great. This is fantastic. Then we were driving home. There was so much lightning around. I go, was that my last supper? Was this one I'm finally going to get? But, you know, it's, it's, you know, I don't get to have fun. It's, when I go out on the road, my job from the day we leave till the day we get back in two months is co- to make sure you guys get home, the fans get home safe, as well as my crew home gets home safe. So I really don't get to let my guard down. I, I have to, you know, ultimately I say the one thing that I'm getting is, is I run towards the lightning. And it's just a saying, but when a storm or something happens out on the warp tour, I have to be the one that runs towards it mm-hmm. while I'm trying to get everyone else to safety. And I think that's, you know, not, you know, but that's what I have to do every day. I'm in the middle. I have to go towards the storm to make sure you can have a great fun day at the festival I put on. And it could be as simple as the the water truck was late and kids are going to be, are thirsty. yeah, kids are thirsty and you got to go figure yeah. that out. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's that kind of, for me, it, it, it definitely weighs, you know, you know, for me, you know, now it's more, I, you know, and I read in, and I anticipate what, you know, is happening to our society, you know, some of the stuff and we don't go into politics and stuff like that, but it's just, I'm going where I'm not worried about myself anymore. I've had a great run. It's I'm worried about, I'm worried about the kids that go to my show. What is the world we are going to leave them behind? You know, you always think you're going to leave something better behind. And I think Warped has always left a community a little better. I really did. 
I mean, I, well, also you guys did. I mean, it was one of the first times I, you know, done you know like a can drive. You know, like you you brought something and that helped, and you sort of you understood that yes, you're traveling to this area, but you're helping that community. Yeah, and I think that came from being punk rock. Punk rock. When we first started Warp Tour, it was like punk rock was a scary word. We were going to be scary people. We we're going to come in and destroy your village and pillage your town. And I just wanted to show that, you know, punks and, and some people hate this, but I said, punks and hippie are, hippies were kind of the same thing. We ju- they just, one smelled like patchouli and one smelled like sweat, you know, just, <laughs> and one, you know, but they both wanted to change the world, you know, and, uh, they, they really did. And I grew up in the hippie town and kind of gravitated to the punk world, but we, we, you know, so I wanted to go to show towns that you can still be a good citizen if you have green hair. Or if you have a mohawk or, you know, or, you know, you have piercings and you, if you have tattoos, you know, you can still be a good citizen and a valuable citizen to your community. You know, communities take all types to be successful. And I felt we were always a bit of an outcast. And I felt that maybe I was, you know, watching it from a weird position of, of standing on stage every night. But I still think that the bands today sing the same way that dead Kennedy sang to me or bad religion sang to me, or those punk bands that I worked with in the clubs when I was closer to the demo of people going to the shows. But when I look in the eyes of band kids and then, you know, you've got now there'll be a new wave of bands, you know, you, you got bear tooth and neck deep and these bands, but mm-hmm. you had pierce the veil and you had those kids, those bands, that's going to be the next wave of bands. So the 13, 14, 15 year old kid, those bands are going to sing the same way. Those bands sang to me 30 years ago. 35 years ago, you know? and every generation has those bands that, you know, we're, you know, being a teenager is not easy, you know, and being, you know, wanting to be your own individual person gets harder and harder as we have a more gentrified society and you're trying to navigate that. And those bands sing the same way. So I never judge the bands that I have out on Warp Tour because I know that in a kid's heart there, I still feel like I'm that kid when I worked in the clubs and I would be like, but I, it just, I still think it's really important. I think it's important to stir that emotion in people. How do you keep the consistency with all the years of doing this in a row? Good people. I think you have a good system. That's always, I always learn. like, yeah. it was like, Oh, we got to deliver this by this day for warped. And it's like the system almost like let it. And, and I don't think people really realize, you know, and I get sometimes I know some people have attacked me and it's funny because in this business, you're going to be called everything. And I think I've been called a racist. I've become a misogynist. I've become, a, you know, all of this. But the Warped Tour is really run by women. You know, Forfini is run by women. Um, uh, Julie, Steph, Allison, Kate, you know, uh, Kat now, a young woman who her mom used to bring her to all the, sh- every time I spoke at a school, she seemed to be sitting in the front row if I was in the East Coast. No way. And now she's, yeah, her mom would drive her and she'd go to conferences since she was like 11. And now she's graduating college and she's kicking, and these girls, they, and they work their asses off because you know what they believe? Shelly, who runs the catering, you know, I've yes. known Shelly since she was 17 years old. I was 21. Wow. And, you know, that she, she decided that she wants to feed punk rock people better. And she, she doesn't need to do Warped Tour. She's doing Coachella. She's doing the Forum. She's doing Staples Center. She's doing the Hollywood Bowl. She does all the high-end catering for all the shows and festivals on the West Coast. But she still goes on a Warped Tour because she believes punk rock people need to be fed well. That's and, great. Uh, you know, and that's, it's a community. There's people that come back every year. 
And that's the thing I think that I'll worry more about, you know, you know, when it goes away, the community, I still think, I still think there's a valuable place in, for Warped Tour. And maybe, you know, you have to fill your own head with shit sometimes to, to succeed or be, keep doing it. But I think Warped Tour is still a classroom. It teaches people to be better citizens. It's also that, you know, you learn a little bit about the scene. Like maybe a kid hadn't been to a hardcore show and he goes and sees Sick of It All and he sees a kid pick up a kid if he fell down. So when he goes back home and he goes to the local club, he's going to do that. And, you know, and I don't think Warped Tour has ever been a place in that parking lot that kids judge each other. You know, I, I think for a minute you can go for nine hours. You can just go be who you want to be, you know, and that's why you could bring bands like Cuckoo Kangaroo or things like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you can have, you know, you can have dancing in the parking lots or you can have, you know, when, when you have the truth truck, the anti-smoking campaign, you know, they, they kids are out there doing like tic-tac-toe and so you just want to be, a, you want to, because when you're having fun, you're willing to learn. And I think when you're having fun, you happen to walk by one of those nonprofit booths, and the next thing you know, you've now signed up to be a member of a, you know, of Keeper Breast or PETA or one of the hundred nonprofits that'll be out there. And sometimes they're going to be controversial. You know, you don't, you know, I'm not going to put out only things that I believe in. I want, you know, you have to have different, differing point of views in those parking lots sometimes. Which I know a lot of people had talked about. Was it the pro-life stuff last year? That, that, yeah, that was a big Yeah, but you point. know, the funniest thing is people, people didn't slow down for a second. And yeah. you know, of, of course they accused me to be the subversive of the pro-life movement. <laughs> Anyone looked at my history, I worked the first pro-choice shows. Rock, Rock for Choice in L.A. We used to do a benefit show every three weeks in L.A. I was doing those shows back in the 80s and early 90s when all those things started. We were doing those because bands used to take their time to do that. I'm afraid bands don't stand for as much anymore. And I understand because if they stand out, they may get attacked on social media and you have to worry, you know, there's that whole thing going. So I'm not judging them. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, when I, when I look, when you really looked at that group, the students for choice, I didn't invite them. They, they signed up and they came out and you know what? They were not, they were not, anti-abortion they were pro-adoption mm-hmm. and i've said this recently i was adopted i didn't know that i didn't know much about them because i like some controversy i would never let a nazi group or i would never let a hate group or a racist group out on the war tour that is a choice it's still a choice but we also asked we asked planned parent they weren't responding last year until these people came out really it took them to come out to stir people up to get people involved on a local ability. And you know what? All of a sudden you had Planned Parenthood. You had all these people. They're all invited. But it took a little, them coming out, a lot of people was funny because that'd be the funniest thing to say that I was, was pro, pro, you know, pro-life. But they attacked me, of course. I was a subversive. I was the undertone and I'm paid for the, you know, whatever. You know, you get past that. But they were pro-adoption, okay? Yeah. I was adopted. And guess what? The more I got to know them, I liked that option. Someone may have some, someone actually took that option in my life. I don't know who I was. I don't know who I was birthed by, but you know what? I was adopted by a nice family. They, they raised me. They were my parents. They still, my, my father's still alive. And you know what? I'm glad someone back then took that chance mm-hmm. and put me up for adoption. So these, so, so there was all this stuff, but you always have the people on, they are going to be the attackers. They're going to come at you for no matter what you do, you know? You know, we go back to the, you know, a few years ago, that controversy, those things were not created in the warp Tour parking lot. I just thought 
that they need to be addressed because you, because I, I kind of feel like maybe I feel like this whole scene, I feel like, you know, after 35 years, I'm kind of a steward of it in some ways. And, you know, there's people, there's, there, we're all challenged out there. I think bands are, everyone's challenged way more now because the access of, of social media, the access of phones, you can't make a mistake. You can't do anything in your life. And the adolescent brain is not developed until it's 25. So when you're out on the road, you don't even get a chance to, to make those same mistakes some guy's making when he's working at, I don't know, Quiznos or something, you know? And it just, you know, we're in the, there's a lot of people looking at your whole life. So, you know, we joke about it. You know, we joke, everyone jokes about, you know, God, thank goodness that wasn't there. And I'm thinking about the early days of Warp Tour. The way we used to handle things on the Warp Tour could have never be handled the way we do it and have to do it now, you know? How is it handled before? Uh, well, if we had a problem with a male on the Warp Tour disrespecting a female, the person might be dragged behind a bus, you know? by the Dropkick Murphys or Rancid or one of these bands or any one of us or my crew. And we dealt with it. You were given a couple options, straighten your life out, or maybe you might lose a couple years of it. It was pretty easy. And, you know, in, but now it would end up on social media. It'd be videotaped and we'd be all, you know, I mean, I, don't, I remember I took a radio winner one time. We had this kid win red and he showed up and he tried to, he brought drugs and was trying to give girls drugs backstage. Oh my God. I could never do this now. Never get that guy. My crew got him. We got him. We put him in a cab. We were in Cincinnati. He was from Cleveland. I gave the cab driver a hundred bucks and said, drive 80 miles towards, towards Cleveland, let him out, keep $20 tip. And maybe he'll learn his lessons walking back. Never to disrespect a woman at the warp tour. Can't do that now. No, you can't. I'm sure I'd be in some giant lawsuit somewhere, you know? <laughs> what? You, this is something I've thought of and we can talk about it or not. The whole, the, the notion, and this is two guys talking, so it's a little bit, it's definitely harder. I wish I had a female to have another point, but the, the idea of like girl bands and having enough. And I had never had that thought because when I was going to shows, it was like, I'd see Raina Maria or Jejun was on a show or whoever. They, it, it wasn't like I, it wasn't like I looked at the lineup and counted. I think it's like, it's just bands. You could put. You could put a male or female band not ready to be on Warp Tour trying to fill a quota, and they're going to get eaten up. I mean, this year, we have an amazing lineup of female bands, and that's accidental. I didn't count them when I was booking them. I just thought they were rad. I really didn't realize how many women were on Warp Tour this year until I did all those videos. The videos were being cut for yeah, the yeah. announcement. And my wife goes, wow, this lineup's really female-centric. And I go, oh, you're right. <laughs> like, because you were oh, listening to the music. You know? I was, I just listen to the music. I really do. And, you know, and it's interesting that the backlash towards maybe this year's lineup from a segment of the population and it's majority, of, there's a lot of women on this tour came from women. So I don't know, you know, but I'm stoked, you know, I, when, when, you know, I don't, I think any of the bands, you know, I don't ever look at it that way. I think there's, there's been amazing. If you look at it, there's been amazing women pass through the warp tour parking lots, yeah, you know, definitely. from, from Gwen Stefani in 1995, you know, and a young girl a few years ago, BB Rexa, you know, no one knew who she was and she was out there and now she's, I don't know, got a hit with everyone. I think too, the interesting time, the emo boom, you know, in the mid two thousands, we talk about that a lot in the podcast. How did that change the tour? You had more eyes on you. You had more eyes on the, on the touring competition to get on the road. That was the way to break. 
What was that like then? Yeah, well, that was that all luck of booking. I mean, you know, I think it was 2004 when, you know, My Chemical Romance and Fallout Boy played a couple shows on a warp tour. And I booked them a year ahead of time. I mean, they were making like 100 bucks a show when I booked them. And I think I booked them a year. I booked those two bands a year ahead of time. I'd never do that. But the summer before, I booked Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance. I said I would give them $2,000 a show next summer which is 10, 20 times more than they were making that summer. And I just felt it was, and it was a weird timing too, because we had that television show TRL, you know, TRL broke that music to a wide audience. Just so happened all those bands were on Warp Tour that summer. You know, it was also a very scary time for us because it was our most successful. If you just base success on numbers, I don't base success on numbers, but you know, you have accountants that do and you have, you know, partners that it's all about the money at the end of the summer or something. And that was the summer that we almost, I felt we, we almost destroyed the warp tour in some ways because we had so many kids who sat on a couch all summer that got off the couch one, some one day to come and hear hits. Warped has never been about hits. It's about the whole music experience. And all these kids came and stood in those parking lots and waited for that hit song that they'd seen on TRL not caring about any other band, not eating any food, not drinking any water. And as soon as my cam walked on stage, they passed out. And it was a, it was a really hard summer. And we did, you know, 700,000 people that summer. Um, it was dangerous because those kids were not ready to go to a nine hour festival. So with that, that fan, that, yeah, that fan casual. that got the casual fan. So Matt Pryor had kind of had had coined this, and I've been using it. There are fans of a song, there are fans of an album, and there are fans of a band. <laughs> yeah, and as well as there's single there were single issue voters in this election, and there's people who understand yeah. the whole picture. So you know? that it's the same thing. But yeah. that time of that person being at that show, and now we're sort of ten years from that point, and we're having that sort of same thing happen again, where that scene is now popular again, but it was the casual fan. Yeah. Well, you know, they're a little older. They want to go back. Now, you know, you think that that fan's probably around 26 to 30 right now, you know, I would say of that period. And I, and I, and and I, but I always say it's like that fan now is 26 to 30. They have a job. They have responsibilities. They have student loans. And what do you want to do when you have that? You want to go back and remember when you were carefree and having fun and had no worries in the world. So you want to go back and sing those songs. That's why the Backstreet Boys or, or newfound new kids on the block can come back and it's a bunch of 35-year-old women going and singing all those songs. You want to forget. Music lets you forget in some ways. And music lets you attach. And those songs were about just embracing that moment, embracing all your, your teen issues. And you know what? Twenty five When you're 25 to 30, you've got a whole new batch of issues. But those songs make you feel good. So going and singing along to those songs makes you feel good and feel, you know, like just reminds you of that moment because we all had that moment when nothing mattered but just that song and being out in the sun and having fun and forgetting about my teen problems and my acne and my, me have my first boyfriend and girlfriend and all these kind of things and just going out and singing and being in community. And it lets you reform that community. And then you have bands that, you know, and, and then there's bands that will persevere. 
you know, you can't, you know, it's the, it's like the Brendan Urys. He keeps developing his career. He will keep going on and developing new fans and his fans will continue to grow with him and he'll make new fans. I think Haley Williams will do that. I think fallout boy will do that. Those are the bands that, you know, they keep, you know, bringing in young people keep following it. Plus their fans are still, you know, they still have those fans. Do you think, but that casual fan, they came to that warp tour is one of your most successful ones. They might, you know, but they're not going to come back. No, they didn't come back. They, they didn't come back the next year. So that's not the community. That's not what I, th- I guess I have this, co- I guess a complex, but it's just like, I don't think you can, you can take, you can take a word for yourself and say, this is what I am in these few years, but not understand the beginning or what happens now in that scene and just come and go as you please. And I know that you can't control anybody, but it just seems like it's, it's, it just seems less connected to a community that I think that's the whole point of being involved in it. And it, and it gets really tricky to book when you're trying to appease that fan, you know, uh, I'm trying, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, are those, are those fans that just come because they want to experience, you said, if there were, if I saw three or four bands, I liked, I wanted to go because I knew I'd walk out of the parking lot knowing six or seven that I, that I just learned about. Are those fans still there? Those are the challenges we'll, we continue to see. We continue to address. I think culture might be changing and you know what? There might be a point where, you know, and it's going to be hard because there's that diehard and I love getting those hearings for the kids. I throw, you know, basement shows. I do canned food drives. And then I'm going to the blood drives in this. And, and then you kind of go, you know, and I, I think that that's part of the community. But is that community still here? Do we still have that in culture? Or are we so fragmented now that we're, we're, we're a thousand little pods of people out there? And then you can't make anyone happy. And then you, you realize that there isn't a place for something like a warp Tour. I feel like it's you a know? thousand different pods, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm feeling in some ways. And I'm hoping, and I keep feeling that hopefully pulling them back into where we are, because I know that, that kid, that they, they, there's a, a lot of people that really just need that sense of community and can find it in a parking lot. Because, you know, when I look at it now, we've played for about 11 million people worldwide or so. Um, you know, I can see it in their faces when they're there. I didn't have- DJ night for almost seven years, um, playing punk, playing punk emo from the beginning to the end. And then a few years ago, there's, there is a insane resurgence. They now have booking agents and publicists. And I had tweeted something that you responded to, which I thought was hilarious. I wrote emo night. Brooklyn is the Donald Trump of emo nights. Now I should have just, I should have just, um, put that in drafts but i didn't but you responded yes as in true emo fashion you you always think the next day is going to be worse than the last um so we're in that sort of phase now where you're right that 26 to 30 year old is back is that going to lift up warped do you think they're going to get into new bands or they just want to hear what they want and then in a few years it'll be back to normal i don't know you know there's a festival out here this week which i thought was like a, a stacked lineup and i hear it's not doing that great Oh, the when, uh, just, the when you were young, right? Yeah, you know, and I don't know all the details, but I, I know, I've seen Groupons, and usually that's a sign. You know, it just things, and and I thought that, but or are people just willing to pay ten dollars and go to a club and just listen to someone DJ and play those songs? Have we gone to that? Do people still do those people still want that live music experience? Do they want to go to? I don't know, you know, or are they happy just going to a club? 
And, you know, uh, what's my age again? Blink-182, I went to an emo night just to see what it was like. And I heard that song like four times in the first hour and 20 minutes, you know? And people were having fun and they were having a great time. Is that where those people are, they don't have time? They don't have the resource or they don't have want to go to something that's a whole day. That's the part that I have trouble with is that I, I was a DJ in college. And so like you, there's a way to play songs. You play a song they know and then you play something they don't know because you had them for a second. And I, there's that whole. And when someone had said that they were going to these and they were playing multiple songs, the same song within an hour, I go, how is that? How is that all? That's not DJing. That's like putting something on shuffle. So no, no, I've I've watched because I see all the guest DJs at these things, and I thought, oh wow, everyone's DJing. Well, basically, they just take a Spotify playlist and hit play, <laughs> you know? and it's it's okay. It's it's it's. I'm, I'm not. People are having fun. It seemed like a fun. It, everyone had a blast. I was looking at all the people. They were having an amazing fun time, and and there's times you just want to go fun and get lost, and I think maybe that's what they're doing. Um, I'm hoping that they will support those bands. I'm hoping that the used and taking back Sunday and, and those bands will be around like bad religion and no effects and Pennywise and those kind of things. I, I hope so too. And uh, you are welcome to our night. Any, anytime play everything, which I think is important. The thing I love, and I think part of warp tour is you went to see a band, but then you learned another one. So I would yeah. play, you know, Coheed and a younger kid would come up and say, what was that? really old Coheed song. And I was like, I've never heard it. Oh, it's on second stage. Or they knew about a new band like Foxing or Hotelier. It was an older person that didn't get into new school. So I kind of, that, that, that was kind of like Warp Tour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this year, that's what the lineup I try to do. It might be really, you know, when you have sick of it all, who was on the 1995 Warp Tours on tour this year, you know, um, you're hoping that, you know, I always say we have to look at, you know, we, we take, we pay homage to the history to move forward. And I think there's a lot of bands out there that, that if people came out and saw, you know, if you haven't seen the adolescents play and you haven't seen, you know, sick of it all playing, this is your opportunity. And you're going to see people who have been able to persevere and have a career of 30 years now. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty impressive. It's huge. And, I, and I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm hoping they mentor bands like Trophy Eyes and Boston Manor. And you know what? They'll have more respect for those bands because sometimes as an older band, you're like, I don't know these young bands. But you know what? You spend the two months in a parking lot, you're going to wander over and see them and go, those bands fucking kick ass like I did when I was 25 or 21 or 19 or whatever when we started our band. And I saw that last summer. Last summer was really cool. The older bands all of a sudden got two nine of these younger bands. And if you look at Benji and Joel and their management company, they're managing a bunch of the Warp Tour bands now. Well, uh, a few more things before I let you go. Sure. I want to talk about Forfini because I think some people are like, you know, you just do Warp Tour. Like, is there what's like a quick day in the life? Well, now day in the life of the Warp Tour or Forfini. Forfini goes back to my first daughter. It was a time period when I was going through a transition of a company and I wasn't even willing to able to use my own name. My name, company was Kevin Lyman production services, you know, which I've kept simple. My Twitter's Kevin Lyman. My first email is Kevin warped at AOL.com, which gets you a little credibility when you go to colleges because they, their mouths hit the floor, you know, like an AOL guy, <laughs> he's still alive. Like, you know, I, I was told that I better not ever have to send a resume with that on it though, because if you have an AOL, you're never going to get hired. But, you know, Forfini now is a very mobile company. I work out of my back house. We got rid of the office after the summertime. I figured that the we don't need offices. We don't need those kind of things anymore. Um, Steph, who does all our marketing, I see her once or twice a week. She'll come over and hang out here. We talk every day. Julie's doing all our operations. She's out here on the West Coast. She can come by or we 
you know, we're on constant communication if we need to be. And, uh, I have Kate and Allison in, in Nashville and they're running all our sponsorships and partnerships that we're doing. You know, I think today I was actually like, where is everyone in my mind? I'm like, I forgot, you know, Kate's down. We did some, we did some sponsors for the torch, uh, the, hangout festival or or Tortuga festival actually in Florida. So she's down there covering them. Allison had some personal business. Julie's mom and dad are in town. So she's hanging out with them. Steph's working at her apartment today. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a different type of company. I'm kind of making it. It's like, I'm telling everyone now, you know, cut your, keep your overhead low. Like if you're an independent record label now, you don't need a building or anything. You're looking at your business because of streaming as a mutual fund. Like, you know, sadly, you're looking at it like a business, but you don't need all this. You can, you know, side one dummy. We sold our building. We trim back. We have the same amount of people, but they're in a different space. We recreated the space so they can use it as a pop-up store. Now they can do little meet and greets with the bands. We can do stuff differently now and business is different now. So I like going out and I'm speaking at colleges and universities that everything in the music business that they're that you may be reading in a book is outdated because the music business is changing every six months, the way we do business. And it's hard to keep up, but you know, I always said there'll be more people making a living in the music business. I said, start saying that about 10 years ago. And I said, in 10 years, there'll be more people making a living in the music business. Are you going to become personally rich in the music business? That's, that's your own, your own thing. But if you can live in a house, you can pay your rent. You have a, you know, a couple friends over for a barbecue. That's making a living in my mind. And I think there's more, and I think there's more people doing that now. I mean, I mean, it's people like yourselves, you're figuring out how to continue doing what you're doing, but you love doing blogs. And I think you're figuring out how to monetize a blog or a, a, a podcast. I'm sorry. But if you can figure out, you know, maybe you're making 50 bucks or 100 bucks a month, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, that pays my cell phone bill. And I do this yeah. other thing where, you know, the DJ night pays, you know, a couple cab rides home and a dinner. That's fine with me. Yeah. You know, I have a job. Yeah. I can, I make enough to, you know, um, un- and, you know, pay my rent. And, 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 and you're surrounding yourself and, and music does enrich your life. And it can, and it's still a very important thing. And, you know, like I said, I, I've had a great run. I've had a longer run than most people as an independent personal person in the business. And if I continue doing this, it's been great. One thing about WarCon, because I remember that. What was WarCon. The, so you guys had Helmet, which you were working with Kaminsky, and Kaminsky knew I was like a huge Helmet fan, so I was bugging him like daily. But what was the, you know... The, obviously starting a label and stuff, what was something that maybe didn't go right with that? What was the, was it timing? What, or what did you love about it? Because you got to do a label. Well, the I, well, I have Side One Dummy, too. I'm partners with them. You know, I I've always been involved about in Side that. One Dummy. I forgot about that. Yeah, so there I was able to sign bands like Big D and Bedouin Sound Clash and, um, you know, Go Go Bredello. I signed their first deal, things like that. Warcon was the right idea probably at the wrong time because the idea of WarCon was the partners involved with WarCon were never supposed to think that they had to monetize WarCon for their own business. We had, and to be honest, there was a, there was an accountant involved in WarCon that was shady. ultimately, Ah. And, and without going into too deep, it, you learn business lessons and it was really fun. WarCon, we got to do cool bands like Deer and Gray. We got to do all these cool things with Japan. And 
we put out, you know, I'm in my American heart record. I just ran into those kids again. I guess they're playing shows and it was, you know, it was was a right idea, wrong time. Um, one of the person, one of the people's core businesses that was involved in it started to go having rough times because they weren't moving into the digital age. They were more in the physical age of marketing and the accountant started manipulating the books and all of a sudden woke up one day and I was like, wow, this is not good. So the best thing that we could do is have the work on records in a warehouse. And I got all the bands to come over and pick them up and they sold them like a street drum corps. I know like got 8,000 records and sold them at 10 bucks a piece and kept all the money. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was it was bad. I think Warcon had a lot of good ideas and a lot of labels use them now. A lot of labels use those ideas, but it was one of those things where someone wasn't being honest. If you could change one what thing about the music biz is run, what is is run, what would you change? Patience. I mean, people don't have any patience. Just like society, you know, I think people get to now, now, now thing versus thinking long term. And then, what about Warp Tour has has given you the greatest joy? I think the one time that I actually let and said I really had a lot of fun was when we had our exhibit at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I walked in that day and just saw like you know, you know Jay Bentley from Bad Religion's Pajamas and Haley's stage out. Getting to, you know, I've gotten to see the world. I've gotten to do really cool things. You know, we played soccer in the rain in the Pompalona Bull Ring. We camped across Australia. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think every day, like a lot of times in the day, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when I walked in there and doing that awesome show with Paramore, Bouncing Souls, Pennywise, and Bad Religion playing in the lobby of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one night. That was pretty cool. Future. What do you want to do next? Any mountains you haven't crossed yet? What's the next one on the list? Do you want to, uh, you know, uh, climb Mount Everest? What is it? No, you know, I, I, I think I, I want to go into more of this. You know, I think it's a time where, you know, we need to bring people together. You know, I, I, I really don't know. I, you know, I, I, I take each year, um, I take each year, you know, but I'm really, really concerned about where we're going as a society. And I don't know where I can fit in to try to pull people together, but I think it's going to be young people are going to be the ones that are going to have to figure out our future. It's not being, the job is not being done by the people we had hoped on all levels. You know, I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're victims of everything that we had in the last 24 hours goes back to the day we walked into, you know, Iraq and Bush entered Iraq. And I told my wife that we're going to have to be there a hundred years. It's going to take a hundred years. We've just entered our own hundred year war. And, uh, we're going to have to find young dynamic leaders, get rid of the, 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 everyone's special. See, that's the thing. Everyone has a special, everyone's about myself. Everyone's about this. So many people I talk to, all they concern themselves is one about one thing in their lives. So it's it's all of us to get through this world. We have to pull together in some way, and I don't know. So we're going to have to find someone like a Kennedy type person, young person, young ideas, mobilize the youth. I've always said, you know, get, let the old business models die. The, right, the major labels, all these old people in the business, and including myself in a way, we're look, waiting for younger people to come in. Let you guys take over. And I've always said, maybe you'll let me come and be like the Walmart greeter at your company because I've been nice to some people. But you know what? You know, you guys need to take over. You really need to stand up for where you guys, you know, where you are in this world. You hopefully will be on this earth. You know, most of the people that would follow me or maybe listen to your things are going to be here for the next 60, 70 years. You know, if I'm lucky, I get 30 years. 
but you know you guys have to take care of it I'll keep trying to put on great shows in the parking lot once in a while <laughs> perfect Kevin thanks for doing this no worries thank you now it's time to go cook dinner my wife's looking through the window please apologize to her on my behalf no worries tell her it was the washed up emo no. podcast apologize <laughs> no worries good to talk to you hopefully I'll see you this summer say hello I will definitely thank you Kevin thank you take care bye bye Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com